Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Chrysalis. Part 8. Logistics. War, I realized, was purely about logistics. The more I thought about it, the more I examined the information I had gleaned from the spaceports of conquered worlds, the shipping manifests and flight plans, the contents of downed cargo vessels, the more I realized it was true. It felt wrong to put logistics before critical issues such as strategy, reconnaissance and personnel. The word itself, logistics, sounded dry and machine-like, a word belonging to the quarterly finance report of a grey corporation, one whose employees wore uniforms and where accountants ruled from behind cryptic ledgers, a word that felt out of place on a battlefield, an affront to humanity's long history of visionary military leadership. And yet, it was true. At first, when I left Earth, I had considered myself one of those noble leaders, a general in command of an army of drones, recurring to subterfuge and wit to best my enemies. The trap I had laid in the asteroid belt was a good example of that. I was carrying the torch, following in the footsteps of Sun Tzu and Alexander the Great, honoring their past achievements by keeping our military ingenuity alive, even if humanity itself had perished. And for a time, it had worked. But the more I expanded, the larger my army grew, the less I could keep seeing myself as just a commander. I was now the state in its entirety, the whole nation. I was the generals, yes, but also the soldiers. I was the workers back home. I was the factories and troop transports. I was the truck drivers delivering ammunition loads and the miners extracting raw resources. I was the dead bodies and the young men training to replace them. I was the grieving families and the military-industrial complex that exploited their kin. I was the system, the supply chain, the economy itself. A well-oiled, self-improving war machine, continuously pushed to capacity. I was logistics incarnate. The moment I began thinking like that, I started seeing the underlying patterns. The dependencies between my different factories, drones and ships. The hidden relationships of supply and demand. The imbalances and inefficiencies I could fix. My fleet of drones weren't armies, not really. They were numbers. Quantifiable, discrete measurements. A positive to the Zanvirian's negative. Numbers are but a facet of logistics. Odd, then, that I had never been good at numbers that I had always struggled with algebra, calculus, and statistics. I remembered failing to grasp the abstract concepts, asking classmates for help when I got stuck. Or had I? I cursed again my fragmented, blurry memories, 
contradictory memories that made me doubt my own sanity. But numbers came naturally to me now. Every manufacturing or design consideration, be it soldier or spacecraft, needed only be fed through a simple cost-benefit analysis, an algorithm I knew. Not one I had memorized, not one I had invented, one that I instinctively knew. Same process for attack logistics when it came to the Zunvir Republic episode. Or take the planet in front of me right now. It wasn't beautiful. Not really. Yes, it could support life, had an atmosphere and clouds and liquid water. But it lacked that singular touch, those vibrant colors, the liveliness that Earth once had. The same one shared by the colonies I had destroyed. The planet in front of me was dull. Its scarce clouds were a washed-out grey and brown. Its seas were murky and viscous. Its forests and plains were jagged, cracked and sunken. Even its very location was detrimental. It orbited a gas giant, which made it a moon, technically. And that planet, with its turquoise clouds and concentric rings, was the true spectacle. Compared to its majesty, this small, putrid planet was easy to ignore, irrelevant. Except it wasn't. Looking into the lower part of the electromagnetic spectrum revealed the truth. There, the planet shone. I could see the grid-like patterns of its extensive factories and the myriad transportation networks linking them together, the hundreds of spaceports dotting its surface, the buried power conduits, energy flowing through them like blood through veins, giving life to manufacturing complexes and refineries the size of cities. A world immersed in a sea of radio transmissions, electromagnetic waves emanating from its surface like petals from a blooming flower. The planet in front of me was anything but irrelevant. It was a critical node, a junction in the supply and production chains. It was the undisputed core of the Zunvir Republic's economy. Destroying it, taking it out, would be like removing the keystone from an arch. Halted production lines, entire pivotal industries vanishing, a scarcity of goods and transportation ensuing. Chaos. If I managed to win here, I would salivate as I watched the Zunvir Republic crumble under its own bloat, reverting from an interstellar civilization back into a series of smaller, independent planetary nations. This was the reason I was currently approaching the planet along with 39 of my support ships, an attack swarm 1,400,000 units strong and carrying more than 100,000 thermonuclear warheads. Of course, it wouldn't be that easy. The Zanvirian fleet was guarding the planet, as I had expected. It was composed of the ragged remains of their navy, huddled without any pretense of organized battle formations. They had apparently called upon ships in any state of condition, those that had barely survived in battle, those in pristine shape having only served in the rearguard, those that were straight off the assembly line, those that should have been decommissioned years ago. These I had expected. It was the other fleet, the one that was almost seven times as large as the Zanvirians, 
that looked like a mismatched congregation of warships of all origins and colors, some flashy and elegant, others curved and bulbous, some narrow and agile, others powerful and sturdy. The ones whose ship's flanks were turned towards me, that blocked my path of advance towards both the planet and the Zunvirian fleet. This I hadn't expected. The sight was imposing, it was meant to be. So many enemies, so many species, so much destructive power gathered against me. Their missile batteries, their hundreds of energy beam projectors, all aimed at either my support craft or my own body. It was a message that required no words, one beyond spoken language, the kind used on the African savannah when two predators faced off over a downed corpse. I kept my approach. I released my swarm of drones, setting it to swirl around my body and the neighboring support ships like a living shield. This time, the radio signal didn't come out of the Zunvirian fleet. It was the newcomers who talked. And they didn't send their communication in dozens of languages, nor repeated it. It was delivered only once, in English. Hostile approaching fleet codenamed Terran. This is a message from the Galactic Federal Council. The Sunvir Republic and the planet of Anakar Sparvin is under our protection. Cease immediately your approach or you will be destroyed. This is your only one. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope. Pura. A sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice. Loyalty or truth? Preservation or revelation? From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City. Starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado, and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wondery Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits. The word irked me. Terran. As if being from Earth were the only relevant thing about me as if I wasn't worthy of being called human anymore. I considered the situation, the fact that this galactic council was siding with the Zunvirians and that they knew of my origins. What else did they know? Did they know my nature? Did they know what the Zunvirians had done to Earth? Had they themselves been complicit in the destruction of my species? A sickening thought crossed my mind as I remembered the two aliens I had let go. Had they scampered back to their homeworlds, crying about the big bad monster rampaging through the Zunvirians' territories? Was the presence of this fleet my own fault, 
something that I could have avoided had I just eliminated those two creatures I rescued. Was this their idea of coexistence? So much for olive branches. I was predisposed to ignoring their messages, but this one I felt warranted a response. Perhaps because it wasn't coming from the Zanvirians, but from a third party. Perhaps because I was afraid of otherwise validating their prejudice. Perhaps because I simply wanted to be heard. I transmitted back. Leave. You are not my enemies. I don't wish to destroy you. Strange. To speak again. Ever since I woke up in the ruins of Earth, I hadn't pronounced a word hadn't needed to use my voice modulator. I remember thinking that I would always be alone, that I would never converse with anyone again. A few seconds passed. I guess they weren't expecting me to reply, and their warning was merely a formality. I felt a faint amusement that just by speaking those few words, I had thrown a wrench in their carefully laid plan, sending them off script. Were their generals discussing how to proceed right now, calling their leaders to ask for instructions? Time was one of my advantages. I had no need for authorizing, convincing, coordinating with different people and their agendas. My thoughts translated into action with the same speed and facility that I had once had when moving my own hand. Terran, we're glad you decided to communicate. We hope that we can reach an agreement to end this conflict, and we want to welcome you to the galactic community, provided you are willing to meet certain conditions. However, we must stop your approach immediately. Your unwarranted attack on the Zanvirians... Unwarranted? The Zanvirians destroyed my world, exterminated my own species. If anything, I've been merciful. These allegations are new to us. We will begin an investigation into your claims, and should they prove true... They are true. I have just sent you a compressed file of evidence, video and audio recordings of the destruction of Earth's cities. Received. We will examine this information. If we determine it to be authentic, we can guarantee that the appropriate sanctions and provisions will be applied. We will also consider this when judging your own recent actions. We can be lenient, but in return, we need you to agree to our conditions. What conditions? One, you need to stop your attacks immediately. Two, you will return the conquered systems back to the Zunvir Republic and dismantle any resource extraction outposts you might have built there. Three, you will refrain from exponential growth and limit the construction of new ships and machines to a linear rate, which will have to be verified by a team of council observers. A deep anger started boiling inside of me. Did they think I was stupid? If you want me to disarm so you can finish the job the Zanvirians started, the answer is no. That is not our intention, Terran. Our objective is merely to prevent more loss of life. We can guarantee that your existence and your rights as a sentient being will be respected and... Can you guarantee justice? Justice, yes. Justice according to the law of the Galactic Federal Council. An impartial trial driven by logic rather than emotion. Where the Zanvirians can exercise their right to defense. With economic and political sanctions in the event they are found guilty, with those directly responsible going to prison, but not this. What you're doing is not justice, it's vengeance. I will not stop until they've paid for what they've done. Until humanity has had its retribution. We have discussed enough. 
I don't want to be your enemy, but if you side with the Zanvarians, if you try to stop me from doing what is fair, then I will equate you with them, and I will fight you. This is the only warning you will receive. With that, I ordered five of my large escort ships to open fire on one of the Zanvirian destroyers. Its protective shields came up immediately, wrapping the targeted vessel in the familiar-looking field of energy. But war was about logistics, a numbers game. It was about the output of the Zanvirian destroyer's power plant pitted against the combined potential of my five escort ships, of the efficiency of its radiators, transforming shield energy into heat against the performance ratio of my re-engineered laser projectors. The destroyer exploded in a blue flash of light and debris. The Council fleet opened fire without hesitation, targeting my main body and my support ships. My shield projectors activated, withstanding the barrage as they drained energy from the ship's respective power plants. My swarm surged forward like a crashing wave. Hundreds of thousands of drones accelerated. A thick mass of ever-shifting formations, corkscrew and fractal patterns. The coordinated movement of its constituent units resembling a gigantic living organism, pulsating, morphing, evolving. I knew precisely where each drone was. I was in control, sending commands to each of them, receiving and analyzing their feedback in real time. My mind integrating the information into a complete picture, the drones becoming part of me, a mere extension of my will. I always knew which of them carried laser projectors, which transported my soldiers, and which were equipped with thermonuclear warheads. It was as if I were playing a deadly game of chess, one with thousands of simultaneous moves. I aimed most of my assault soldiers towards the council fleet. It wouldn't be easy, but I wanted to capture some of the unusual ships. This council's species seemed more advanced than the Republic, and reverse engineering their technology could give me further advantage. I had targeted two of their ships. The first was marble white, its polished surface glinting under the vibrant light of crossing energy beams. It reminded me of a giant bone, as if it were the femur of some titanic beast. The second was their biggest battleship. It looked like a starfish of iridescent blue and green. Its ventral energy weapon was activated, sending a continuous stream of heat that went crashing into my main body's shield. That amount of power, the sheer strength of that weapon, dwarfed the other attacks I was receiving. My body's shield was incurring so much damage, I expected it to collapse within a minute. I had to resort to my escort ships. I ordered them near my body, immediately in the path of the oncoming beam, to absorb the full onslaught for a few seconds at a time. It was a complex maneuver, but it worked. As each shield was about to collapse, its ship nudged forward, just to be replaced by the next one in line, a bodyguard carousel all of them sharing the brunt, helping each other so that none of them would be destroyed. As the front of my swarm neared the enemy formation, a few of the smaller council ships moved forward. The gold and green wedge-shaped frigates positioned themselves at the front of their fleet, between my swarm and their most valuable battleships, opening fire on my drones with their laser projectors. Unlike what the Zanvirians had accustomed me to, these lasers weren't powerful. They didn't burn with the intensity of a small sun, 
They weren't designed to take out battleship-class vessels. No, these were low-energy, thin, white trails of light. But they had hundreds of them, each projector swiftly tracking a drone and burning it down, then rotating towards the next target without pause. It was a tactic straight out of my playbook. The Council had decided to go with quantity over quality for the energy weapons of their frigates. Apparently, they were aware that my drones lacked shields and had correctly deduced that even a weaker laser would be enough to dispatch them. Rather than wasting energy on one powerful beam, they could delegate that same total energy to multiple beams, burning faster through my swarm. Yes, a good move. I would have tipped my hat. It was a pity they were acting on outdated intel, though. I hadn't installed shields in all my drones, of course. That would have required extensive resources. But I did design a new kind of support unit. One that only carried a shield, nothing else. I had built and placed several thousand of them scattered throughout the swarm. I set these shield drones to move forward now, accelerating through the thick of traffic, other craft under my control evacuating in a choreographed motion to let them reach the front line faster. Their shields came online, thousands of new circular fields of energy, like soap bubbles appearing everywhere, each one a few hundred meters wide, more than enough to cover both the machine casting it and its close neighbors, oversized umbrellas leading the way. To their credit, the Council commanders reacted fast to this new development. Their frigates stopped spreading their fire among multiple machines and started joining forces to dismantle the shield drones. So I ordered the machines to swirl around the center shield drone, making orbital movements, spiraling clockwise and counterclockwise without ever leaving the protection of the spherical shield. I used Fibonacci sequencing to coordinate my own units while confusing the enemy's tracking systems, disrupting their targeting of the shield caster. It was maddening. The amount of radio traffic filling the empty space, the quantity of information I was transmitting every single second, the stress of coordinating the movements of more than one million vehicles, of making sure each one was at the right place at the right time was overwhelming. I had never fought like this, it was intense. It required my every thought, my every processing cycle. I was acting on pure instinct now. An instinct I didn't know I had. Sending orders and applying patterns just because they felt right. And they were right. It was a thing of beauty, of numbers that only I could see. A work of art only I could appreciate, that nobody else knew even existed. My processing units were in overdrive, my server farms burning hot. I was shifting through oceans of information, analyzing, correlating, and projecting thousands of paths into the future, sending orders and receiving torrential amounts of input data from my million eyes, constructing models of the battlefield and optimizing data structures, prioritizing targets and scrutinizing key attack patterns. Outside, I was winning. I had drones spiral the Council frigates and cut their hulls open with dozens of moving lasers. Two Zunvirian battleships tried to flank the thick of my swarm, but I had anticipated this maneuver and placed ten nuclear warheads in their predicted path. I detonated them, the battleships vanishing inside the bright flashes. My assault soldiers were crawling across the outer hulls of the targeted battleships. 
I had them look for entrances, blow open vents, and force their way through narrow openings. This was all despite the unexpected enemy, despite their superior technology, despite their clever tactics. I knew I was winning. The enemy fleet had managed to contain the tide of the swarm somewhat, but their defensive positions were compromised. Their entire formation was about to collapse. I had only to push a bit further, a bit harder, and victory would be mine. And then, everything changed. It felt like a slap to the face, or a punch to the gut. I wasn't entirely sure what had happened, but I immediately knew something was very wrong. My view had fragmented. I could no longer hold a cohesive picture of the battlefield in my mind. I couldn't integrate all the information I was receiving from my drones into a single model. Instead, I now had separate views, conflicting narratives. Drones popped in and out of my awareness, blinking like Christmas lights, as if they were being destroyed and immediately resuscitated. And I had lost singular coordinates for all of my machines. I had two or three different positions for each, as if they had somehow doubled in my mind. I was still trying to direct them, but their movements had turned spasmodic. My orders were inconsistent and I couldn't visualize the swarm as a whole anymore. The carefully constructed patterns and formations were unraveling fast as drone collided into drone, as they drifted out of the protective bubbles and were promptly destroyed. Order turned swiftly to chaos. I felt a cold fear inside me, a sinking feeling. Something was seriously wrong. Was the problem caused by my own mind? Had I been crippled by the crashing of my server farms? I launched a desperate diagnostic check on my own databanks and processors. It was only a basic analysis, but everything came back normal. So what was it then? I turned my attention towards a single drone, ignoring the rest of the now disorganized swarm. I ordered it to engage its thruster and move forward. It didn't. I repeated the order. This time I watched the machine obey through my visual sensors, but as it moved forward, something odd happened. It was still relaying its old position, as if it hadn't budged. This irregularity caused itself to double in my mind, as if it had suddenly become two separate machines, one still, the other moving. Disconcerting. Nauseating. I told the machine to stop, but it ignored me and kept advancing, entering the path of another drone. The two craft collided at high speed, destroying one another. Had all my drones suddenly regressed? Had the enemy hacked them? No. I noticed they still were following their programming, their last orders. It was more like they... Ah! I glanced into the low electromagnetic spectrum, paying more attention to the transmissions I was receiving, both from the drones and from the planet as well. And then it clicked. The problem wasn't in my drones, nor in my own processing units. No, they were all working just fine. I was being jammed. The Zanvirians had tried that before, of course. They had tried to drown my communications in a deep blanket of EM noise, or use EM pulses against me. But invariably they had failed. 
My signals always prevailed. My transmitters were too strong. My drone's electronics too well shielded and designed to work in an environment full of nuclear explosions. I couldn't be jammed. Except the Council had apparently found a way. All the orders I was sending to my machines, all the feedback the drones were relaying back to me, they were being scrambled, distorted, duplicated, like light passing through a kaleidoscope maze. When I glanced into the EM spectrum, I felt like I was seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. I didn't know they could do it. I didn't know how they were doing it. I had some degree of control, erratic as it was, but that wasn't good enough, not to fight at the level I needed to. Logistics are nothing without numbers, and mine were now unreliable. As I scrambled to gain my senses, the enemy fleet opened fire, with all their energy beams and a salvo of missiles. They ignored the swarm and focused all their destructive power on a single target. Me. My shields kicked in, my power plant struggling to maintain itself under the siege. I started extending my radiator panels to vent the excess heat, despite the risk that doing so mid-combat could damage their surfaces. But I needed that extra 5% efficiency I knew I could get. I needed an edge if I wanted to survive this attack. That was when the supercharged beam of the Starfish battleship opened fire again, targeting me. I only had a fraction of a second of warning before my shields gave way. I could still feel pain, I discovered. A very muted version of pain. Not the kind of pain I remembered feeling on Earth. No, this was different. Faded, but oddly similar. I felt the impact, the heat, the shock, the loss, the failure. The powerful energy beam burned through my ceramic plates, straight past my second and third armor layers. It obliterated its way through internal storehouses and drone assembly factories. It cut fuel lines and energy conduits. I watched through the cameras inside my body as an expanding ball of flames advanced along kilometers worth of maintenance corridors. Walls bursting, sensors dying, and platforms collapsing in its wake. I didn't have time to take stock and evaluate the damages before I felt the next impact. The next laser beam cut deep into my structure and destroyed one of my auxiliary thrusters. The resulting explosion shocked my entire body. They were killing me. That was Chrysalis Part 8, performed by Corey Hawkins, Matthew Wolfe, and Eric Satterberg, directed by Alex Kemp. Chrysalis was written by S.H. Serrano and adapted by Stephen Michael and Macklin Malogi. Chrysalis is executive produced by Corey Hawkins, executive produced by Stephen Michael, and associate produced by Sarah Newton at Gunpowder and Sky. This season is produced by Toby Lawless at Wolf at the Door Studios.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 